Patient No Longer is a podcast featuring leaders in healthcare who are inspiring a positive shift in the customer experience and human understanding. In this podcast, we interview people who are from all areas of healthcare that are impacting the healthcare consumer journey of care. My name is Ryan Donahue, solutions expert and strategic advisor with NRC Health. And it's a pleasure to host Patient No Longer, a podcast in search of what's new, what's next, and what makes healthcare human again. Well, welcome back everyone to another episode of Patient No Longer podcast. We have a special guest here today. We have Mike Slabowski, CEO of Trinity Health. Hello, Mike. Hello, Ryan, great to be with you. We're gonna talk about the healthcare industry at large. We're gonna talk about the situation we're in in the summer of 2022 and what things might look like in the future. And Mike's an expert on this. He's the CEO of one of the largest not-for-profit Catholic healthcare organizations on the planet. He's got a family of 125,000 colleagues, 26,000 physicians. He's got a great purview across this country and what's going on in healthcare. Maybe the most important thing in his bio is that he's a returning guest to the Patient No Longer podcast. We had Mike in just about a year ago. So Mike, let's jump right into it. I want to talk about the headwinds in the industry, the losing of staff, the erosion of culture. We've got financial constraints that are, some are old, some are new. They're all powerful. What is your gut feeling on our ability as an industry to get out of our current predicament and evolve into the future? Well, great question, Ryan. And I'm always optimistic about the future, especially of not-for-profit healthcare and in our case of faith-based health system, because at the end of the day, you know, we provide the most personal of human services, body, mind, and spirit. And our mission is about caring for people and communities. And at the end of the day, those needs will still be there. But we're going through a lot of change right now. I've described in the past that this has really been a multi-part drama that we've experienced. I would say that while there were some signs of challenge and also hope last summer when we met, the wheels kind of came off when Omicron hit. I mean, we had Delta late in the summer and then followed by Omicron, and it really had a devastating impact on uh, staffing and resource consumption, uh, financial performance for us. And I know for many, many people in our industry as I've chatted with them, And I think, you know, your question about what's our ability to get out of this, I think our ability is strong, but it's going to take multiple factors to get there. And the first one, I know this rings in your ears all the time, is really the focus on the patient or member. And I think I shared with you last summer, clinicians don't want to give up the word patient, even though the word patient means to wait, as your book says. So I always do patient slash member. I hyphenate it. I use both words because really we want to create a member relationship with people where it is continuous, where they look at us as their trusted health partner. You know, our brand promise is we listen, we partner, and we make it easy. And it's clearly aspirational, but it's still number one for us. That's got to be out ahead. So I think the focus on the patient member is first. Second is the focus on our colleagues, our employees, we call them colleagues. You know, I think that the pandemic has really heightened the need for even more attention to the importance of our people being 
the most precious gift that we have in delivering the care we provide. And because regardless of whether we use digital tools or digital health or all that, at the end of the day, it's all about people connecting with people again in that most personal way. So I think that's even got more heightened, you know, responsibility among us than we had before. I think the third is, you know, the inevitability of managing cost. You know, I think for the most part, we've kind of played around the edges on cost, and we really have to fundamentally change our cost structure and redesign people, process, technology, and culture to support, you know, a new beginning, if you will. And then the fourth is, you know, we need some help from regulators and others to eliminate some of the unlevel playing field that we're experiencing right now. I mean, the reality is the commercial payers, the medical device suppliers, and big pharma are making tremendous profits right now in healthcare, and their profits and revenue is our cost. And we're the ones that, you know, I would submit add the value in terms of the delivery of that care to the people that we serve. But, you know, I'm not saying that for-profit businesses should go away. I mean, that's how our economy is driven. But there's got to be some way to level the playing field so that their revenue isn't the barnacles that are dragging our ship down right now. And I don't know all the answers to that equation right now. In the case of Trinity Health, We've been all in on the responsibility for populations, and we want to assume responsibility for total cost of care and outcomes for populations that we serve. But right now, the way the system is designed, we're being treated as a commodity, and our services are being purchased on the spot market, if you will, instead of us being able to take responsibility for total cost of care. I think that there is a great future for us, but the headwinds are formidable, and we're going to have to work on all the dimensions I just talked about to get us to the promised land, if you will. I want to focus on two parts of your answer. The last part, when you talk about how there's more to it than us, you know, with payers and these other regulators and everyone involved, it feels like in college, when you're moving into a house with your friends, you've got the smallest bedroom and you're paying as much or more rent, right? I mean, we are really all in this together. And not all of it is under our control. And yet when I hear your first part of your answer talking about, you know, as we look at our members, our colleagues, and the cost that patients pay, there is such a fantastic human element to how you focus on things. What I want to ask you, and, you know, you referenced uh, last year's episode as well. You know, I asked you a question last summer. I said, will we as hospitals and health systems radically transform our focus to be more consumer-centric after COVID? Your initial answer that stuck with me was no. And I really thought it was bold and I love that answer. I want to revisit that. Are we in a situation now a year later where we feel like we can radically transform our focus because of COVID and emerge out of COVID in a better position at some point? Or is that a pipe dream? Well, I answered that question last year related directly to your comment about COVID. I don't think that the focus on the patient member consumer is going to change because of COVID. I think it's other market forces that are driving us to really focus on the people we serve in a very different way. I think the comments that you've made and have been written in your book still exist, the maze of healthcare, 
connecting it for people, making it simple. I think the opportunities with technology now are greater, but we can get carried away with thinking digital health is the solution to everything. It's an enabler to creating that connected consumer experience. While we've gotten a little bit of a a reprieve on employer-sponsored health coverage because everyone is working so hard to keep employees so they haven't been tinkering with their benefits, you know, the reality is the cost challenges are still there and people are paying a lot out of pocket and they'll probably pay more out of pocket and they're going to be much more discerning about where they get their care at what price as well as what kind of service they get, what's the outcomes that they expect from those services. So I think the market forces are the things that are going to really impel us to be even more person-centered, consumer-centric, member-centric, however, you know, whatever word suits your fancy. I think it's inevitable. Rather than looking at it as a fait accompli, ho-hum, let's get excited about how we can make a difference. And that's why we think our brand promise, listening, partnering, and making it easy, while we're far from that, it's just something that we repeat. It's a a mantra for us to apply to almost everything we're doing. How is this thing we're doing right now going to make it easier for these people we serve? Is it a way that we're truly listening to them and incorporating them into our processes and our thoughts about how to support them? You know, it's interesting how you talk about the market forces, but also, you know, the way in which I asked about COVID, because we kind of use COVID to cover, right? And I'm even doing that when I'm asking you, and you've mentioned the book, when we released the book in 2020, I would never recommend releasing a book during a pandemic, because we thought, oh my goodness, do we need to rewrite this or pump out a second edition right away? And we wrote about COVID in the foreword, but we looked at some of those things we talked about, like good access to care, engaging patients in and out of the hospital. And then affordability, making sure that that's not an injury to their trust and stops their journey ahead of time or leads to the ER and more expensive costs. All those things were just heightened by COVID. And you and I have had conversations about price transparency years ago when you were back in Colorado, we did a presentation on that. And it seems like all of those things were accelerated by COVID and they're all sort of looming around waiting for us now. And I want to focus in on the end there because you said, we can't be ho-hum, we have to be excited. That's why I like talking to you because I know you're excited, but I don't hear that from everyone. I feel like a lot of people in healthcare are languishing right now and they need something. Your brand promise has remained. We listen, we partner, we make it easy. Have you had second thoughts about that during COVID and as you emerge? Have you doubled down on it? Where do you find yourself as an organization when everyone's kind of just trying to make it through right now? Well, we're doubling down on it. You know, I do want to go back to your statement. I mean, people are tired right now. People are challenged to feel about, is there a future? I mean, we're meeting with our system leadership exchange folks this afternoon, and we fielded a bunch of their questions in advance for the conversation. And folks are saying, you know, tell us, is it going to be okay? You know, are we going to, we're not seeing how some of the things we're doing at cost management right now and the financial challenges and how that's going to all play out for us to be strong in the future. So I don't want to sugarcoat the fact that, you know, we're facing those headwinds that you talked about are strong right now, but we also recognize at the end of the day that you can't say, you know, because of the cost pressure, 
that gives you a excuse to not focus on the customer or on the member. And if anything, you need to double down on that. So to some extent, folks' backs have to be against the wall. Let me give you an example recently that I've been really excited about is all of us are struggling with having enough clinical staff. You know, especially in the inpatient nursing arena right now, it's, it's really tough. A lot of people dropped out of the workforce or they've decided to be gig workers, et cetera. So, you know, what we did a couple of years ago, and it actually started before the pandemic, we created our own internal staffing agency called First Choice. And we figured if there are nurses that want more flexibility, that want to move more to a gig approach, it would be better for us to keep people in our organization that want to leave and give them that extra flexibility because they know us and they know our mission than to lose them to an external staffing agency. And First Choice has been critical for us during this pandemic. I mean, we have over 2,000 clinicians serving us in First Choice, and it really has been our backstop to wean ourselves off of external staffing agencies. But the second thing that I'm really excited about that our nursing leadership has done is, you know, we said at the end of the day, there just won't be enough nurses to go around in the old model of delivery. How do we lower the quote-unquote dose of nursing, but yet still provide safe, effective, compassionate care to people? And they've been piloting uh, some work using technology, you know, where we have retired nurses who still would like to contribute are staffing our service centers electronically and monitoring patients and actually with the video screens in the room. And the patients love it. They love it because there's somebody there 24-7, 365 that they can connect with and they don't view it as less personal. And in fact, you know, it augments what the people on the floor can do and support them. And so Our pilots have been so successful with this. We're rolling it out across the country. You know, it's an example of a way that you can deal with staffing challenges, the cost pressures, and create a better experience for the person you're serving. It's so interesting. And I just want to key in on the internal staffing agency idea because that's a brilliant response. It's something that wouldn't have happened likely without COVID. You've got a lot of examples of where you've been able to innovate through the pandemic. In fact, you've showed me a slide. I think we all just in our head have the surges and how we got through it. And we have these personal markers and professional markers we make, but you've actually built this into several acts. You talked about this last summer. And of course, we didn't know we were going to have Delta and Omicron and all these additional variants. We had no idea really. And it's interesting because you had act one through five. Act one was starting with the first surge and then the responses to that all the way through to the additional surges. And one thing you've mentioned to me that I would love for you to expand on for our listeners is what's the next act, right? In your book, it would be act six, but you talk about the sort of emergence or emergence 2.0 coming out of this. Can you explain your thinking on that and how you sort of built that framework to emerge from the pandemic? Emergence 2.0 is new thinking and new possibilities is really what it's all about. I think I told you last year that as we were dealing with the pandemic, we created a group of what we called emergence teams. We took folks from across our ministries and they came together around specific problems to be solved or specific opportunities. Some of them were very 
finite and focused. So for example, during the first surge, we developed a team that said, how do we create safe outpatient zones for people to come back for care before the vaccines and everything were developed? And so that team put together a guidebook that was extremely useful for each of our locations. We have four teams that have really emanated in this Emergence 2.0 framework. We have a team focused on culture and in the material that I provided to you, and I'm really proud of our CEOs and our system leadership, they really work together to come up with what set of actions or behaviors do we expect of all of us, all of our colleagues together across the organization, instead of each site having their own set of behaviors. And so we came up with a slide. In fact, I shared it in a deck that I provided to you that we call our Trinity Health Culture that connects our mission, vision, values to our promise statement through our actions or behaviors. And everybody is using a common set of expectations around that. That came out of our team six culture. We have a team seven that's focused on zero harm and safety. So we were already on the zero harm track. How do we take that to the next level by way of example? When the staffing situation got extremely acute in the fall, and then of course the wheels came off in January, team eight was focused on what actions can we take short-term and long-term to build resilience and recruitment and retention of colleagues. And then recently we've had team nine focused on what we call stewardship focusing on how we can get back on track with our financial performance, as well as being mindful of all those other emergence efforts. So these have really been ways for us to work across the ministry, getting the best minds together to develop ideas and guidance. When people hear playbooks, they think everything's really prescribed or proscribed. And to me, it's more about providing guidance you know, clear guidance to folks. And then they kind of frame it in what works for them in their local environment. But there's the guidance is some guideposts for them to use as they do their work. But we're going to continue to use that format as we move forward and identify themes. And clearly those those teams that I just talked about, six, seven, eight, nine, those are more longitudinal in nature. They don't have a little finite project to work on and then they walk away. Those are things we're going to continue. And I think that's great. I mean, at first, the piece about the playbooks, was there ever a better opponent and reason to not believe in playbooks than COVID? I mean, you could throw all the playbooks out. And what I really love about Emergence is I feel like you've taken a resource and a structure that a lot of people built through their crisis response and sort of mission control type initiatives that they built to get through COVID. And you're continuing it on, like you said, like you just said, it's going to continue going even after COVID. I think a lot of people have dropped those things. I think that there's no, oh, our numbers are low enough. We don't need to meet in this way. It's not a crisis anymore. And yet what they're also dropping is any strategic possibilities that were forged during that response that could continue on. So I just think that that's fantastic. And I hope folks listening think about what are some things that we could continue on or pick back up. It's not been that long. You talk about colleagues and all those wonderful folks that work for Trinity Health. You know, we've alluded to this. I want to ask about it directly. It feels like there's a lot of things we need to do in this industry to emerge and to be stronger and to strengthen our position in a really chaotic industry. 
But also, if we don't have a strong, secure workforce, we're going to have trouble getting anything done. And I think the last year has really taught that. Are we overlooking anything else that we can do? You covered this a little bit, but I'm just looking for more. Our last podcast guest talked about we have to replenish ourselves. It's not even just about combating burnout and resiliency. We've been resilient. How do we continue to replenish ourselves and restore the joy, the calling of why people got to healthcare in the first place? Any other ideas on that? Things that have worked for you and the colleagues of Trinity Health? Yeah, great question, Ryan. And it's a journey. First of all, you have to continue the commitment to saying that we're people caring for people and reminding yourself of that all the time. So what are we doing to support the people that serve other people? And how do we serve one another? I mean, we've continued things like our resilience teams. We actually, our mission leadership in our organizations have taken the responsibility to continue the resilience work that we're doing across our ministries and supporting our colleagues by way of example. But it's multifactorial. I mean, you need to be sensitive to the hygiene factors. People are dealing with inflation right now and there's scarcity. So you got to make sure you're rewarding people appropriately in terms of compensation and benefits. We need to make sure that people are taking advantage of their benefits. We have a live your whole life program with our benefits where we focus on wholeness for people. And, you know, we have an app for their phones, making sure people are using those and actually using them in sort of a competitive way to keep themselves healthy. We use Microsoft's Yammer as our internal way of people communicating almost like an internal Facebook in the organization and responding to questions and comments that people have in that regard. Engaging people in these new care model developments is incredibly important. It's energizing for them to be engaged in the solutions and not just the recipients of stuff that comes from the tablets on high, if you will, in the organization. So it's hard for me to put my arms around, you know, one thing or one factor that's going to make the difference to people feeling like this is a vocation that matters and that we're going to support them in every way we can because that's who we are and what we're about. And a lot of that social contract has been broken over the past two years. So the implicit contract about, you know, no furloughs, no layoffs, no redesigning of services, you know, the commitment in a holistic way to people, a lot of that got broken over this two and a half years. And restoring faith. And even at times right now, we're digging out of a financial hole. It's really interesting because, you know, on one hand, people are saying, is it going to get better? You know, they want hope. They want hope. And of course, you know, we believe that it's going to get better, but then they're going, are we done yet? You know, have we done all the things we need to do? And we're saying, absolutely not. We're just the tip of the iceberg right now at you know, balancing the scorecard around quality, safety, the care experience, financial stewardship, colleague engagement, you know, clinician engagement, growth. We're at the tip of the iceberg right now, and we've got to really get deeper on all of those fronts. And then, you know, expanding our continuum of care. I mean, we're very committed to home care, to the work we've done with PACE. We're the second largest PACE provider in the country you know, using technology and digital services to, again, be enablers to what we're 
doing for the people we serve, as well as enabling the caregivers, not making it a burden for them, really making their life easier. So all those things are incredibly important. I think you do a great job in action, but also in your answer of putting yourself in the shoes of those colleagues. And I think when we don't do that from a strategic point of view, it just doesn't matter how good of a plan or a mission or whatever we cook up, it's just not going to make it all the way to the ground level where care happens. You know, one thing I want to point out, because you mentioned this earlier when you mentioned doubling down on your mission, one thing I really appreciate is a lot of people are trying to do that right now. That's the answer to what do we do and how do we emerge and reinvigorate our workforce. But a lot of people are saying, hey, here's our mission. It hasn't changed. Not quite as inspiring as when you add the mission, the values, but the actions, like here's what we're going to do. Here's what we want you to do. We want your input on what else to do because we're in this together. To me, that breathes life into a mission, and then it can be the answer to emerge. I also love what you said about breaking the social contract. I mean, it does feel like there are fractures all over it. I know there's people who got into healthcare 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago who felt like this was not the healthcare I wanted to get into. I know that you hear that too. What do you say about the future of that? Because I kind of hear two things emerging. I hear people saying that those people are going to retire as quick as they can, and it's just an early exit and get off the ship, and it's going to be bad for a long time. I definitely hear that negativity. But then I also hear people saying that this is going to inspire people to want to get involved, a little bit like you know police and fire recruiting after 9-11, where they say this was a crisis that gripped us all, and none of us are perfect, but we want to take this head on. I want to be a caregiver, a nurse, a doctor, or whatever, and be a part of healthcare in the future as a new sort of calling. Is there that sort of feeling of rising out of the ashes and that will help us out? Or are you more in the camp of, this is going to be bad for a long time and we're going to lose a lot of people? Let me just start by saying it's hard work. It's not going to be a cakewalk for any of us to go through this transformation. And we've all got to wrap our heads around the fact that change is inevitable. And I don't care what age you're at or how many years you've been in healthcare. There was a book that one of our board members co-authored called Impact the World. And in the book, you know, she speaks to people who really are focused on improving the world through values and activism. And there are really three themes in the book that lead to that kind of inspiration. It's first dissatisfaction with the traditional approaches, okay, that they're just not working anymore. And that also applies to institutions of power and influence as well. The second is technology that drives the capability to communicate and engage, you know, social media. I still do videos every two weeks for our colleagues, updates on what's happening in the organization. I have a separate email address that people can write to me about and colleagues take the opportunity to do so. And I can't answer every one of them, but I make sure somebody does. And in some cases, I answer many cases, I try to answer them directly. And then the third, I think, is we do need to rely on the new generation of impact-minded individuals. Many younger people entering the workforce and are really focused on how do I make a difference? It isn't just about doing a job. And, you know, we would hope all of us are there, but, you know, some folks at different points in their career, you know, that changes. And we've got a lot of young people. I mean, our fellows that join us, our management fellows that join us, I mean, they're wide-eyed and They've got ideas about reform and change, and they 
want to be part of that change. And rather than saying, well, you don't really understand, we need to take advantage of the fact that they come with a beginner's mind and enthusiasm to make a difference and turn them on. Let them do things. Let them try things. Let them make mistakes. Let them help us. The reason I love having fellows and and even residents around is, and why physicians love training is they have people asking them fundamental questions, you know, the beginner's mind questions and things that we've been, you know, home blind to, they raise the fundamental questions that make us think and, you know, say, hey, maybe there's a different way here. So that's all really an important part of how we engage our people and not pigeonhole because, I mean, we've got people who have been in these roles for many, many years who are just as excited about transformation as some of the younger folks that are joining the workforce. So I think it's important not to allow that to happen, to seep in. Well, you mentioned it. I was going to save it for the end. So we'll get to it. The have a beginner's mind. That was the big advice that you gave someone starting out in healthcare last summer. And the beauty of that is it can apply to anyone. And I hear you so much on young people and how sometimes our inclination is just to sort of pat them on the head and say, okay, you know, you haven't been in very long, you'll find out. But you mentioned social media. Social media is a great example of how the dichotomy all changed. And you had 25-year-olds who were the experts. They knew more than someone who'd been around in Marcom for 20, 30 years. And so recognizing that they can make an impact in certain parts of the organization, I think is so important. We'll put a link to Impact the World, that book, into the description of this podcast so that people can listen. I know we've covered a lot and you've been very transparent and inspirational too about inside the organization. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you one big question about what's happening out in the communities. And of course, this is getting into the world of consumers, not just people that are inside the hospital, but people out in the community sort of watching from afar. Maybe they've been lucky enough to stay out of the hospital last couple of years, but yet healthcare is important to them. And they're looking for sort of a reintroduction of healthcare, right? Lasseter recently talked about how as an organization, we have to reintroduce ourselves to our future patients. And I like the way that he said that. So I've got to ask you, you know, these folks who are saying, I want to start over, or I want something new from healthcare. When I come back, a lot has changed in the world. A lot should be changing in healthcare. Is that an opportunity? as they're coming in for a fresh opportunity to build a relationship? Or is it another challenge? Because we've been through a lot. And so are we ready to reintroduce ourselves right now? Where do you come in on that? I view it as an opportunity. You know, when we focus on patients as consumers, patients as members of our organization, it's, you know, fundamentally looking at how am I treated? I mean, our own colleagues here, we insure all of them, you know, for their health coverage. It's a gold mine of they experience the same blocks and have the same ideas for change that we hear from everyone else in the communities and really using that gold that they can provide to change our processes and services and to really rethink them is incredibly important. And we have digital tools now that we can take advantage of. You can get carried away with thinking digital's the solution to everything. It's an enabler, but it can make a big difference in the process of both communication, of care, of getting timely feedback. I mean, some of the work NRC does with your clients is giving them real-time feedback on what the customers are saying and then reacting to that. 
immediately instead of you know waiting for an HCAP survey two months from now getting compiled where you don't even have the individual patient to follow up with by way of example. So I just think there is an opportunity, back to your question, to really talk about Emergence 2.0 in the view of how we're living out our new brand promise. Right. And in the view of those consumers who maybe have heard something, seen something, they've had a story from someone else, but they've not re-entered healthcare. And we know through our NRC Health studies and through our consumer surveys, through Market Insights, which you're familiar with, is that their expectations were big before COVID and they're even bigger now. They really want to be wowed when they come back, which leads me to my next question for you, because you've touched on this as well, you know, with home care and pace and digital tools. What does the future of care delivery look like? Because when I ask you that, you know, when they return to healthcare, we in our heads might think they're wearing a gown, but maybe they're not. We know during COVID that people consider digital experiences to be true experiences. We saw that across the country. So what does that look like? You sort of kind of after COVID where we are now and into the future of the next few years, is care delivery truly going to change? You know, the home is going to be the center of much more care. We're already seeing it enabled by technology around experiments with hospital at home, with a providing, you know, we have 24-7, 365 nurses in our home care program that are communicating and monitoring patients in the home by way of example. I think our ambulatory sites, convenient ambulatory sites and alternatives for people, urgent care, primary care offices. I think our primary care offices are getting better at flexibility around not only hours of operation, but come on in so that you don't have to send everybody to urgent care and still connect the care. I think that there's gotta be a lot more use of technology to connect the continuum. So we've been committed here to our path called Together Care, powered by Epic, where you know we're putting it in across our continuum. We're not just stopping with the hospital and the physician offices. It's in our urgent care centers. It's going to be in our home care locations. It's going to be in our PACE locations so that you know we have the full longitudinal information and connection with our members. I think we're relying a lot more on digital tools to enable people to connect. A lot of my communication with my primary care physician is through my my chart, Epic My Chart, okay, and and it works pretty well. And you know he orders my tests for my next year's physicals a year in advance, and they pop up you know about a month before my next appointment a year later. I mean it works really beautifully. So you know I think taking advantage of technology in that way to make it more personal for people and to get their results quickly because they want information about their own health. You know, it's really important to have all those capabilities and we have to keep learning. Continuous learning is so critical to folks, especially those of us that have been around for a while and getting out of our comfort zone and not thinking not invented here, you know, oh yeah, that sounds great. But you know, we tried that before either we didn't really try it or maybe it was ahead of its time. Or maybe we didn't have the right enablers to make it work now. So, you know, openness to possibility and continuous learning, I think, is really, really important. And you um, won't say this part, but it makes you it makes you very humble, and that humility comes through as a leader. Also, I got to think, as your physician, you've got to be a fascinating patient 
to take care of. And you're a fast responder, so I know you would actually fill out the surveys and make that be known. You know, one thing you do at Trinity Health that makes such an impact in almost a subconscious way is like together care. I mean, that's part of your overall brand promise. And you said earlier, you know, people caring for people. And to me, what I love about that in care delivery is that doesn't always have to be at the hospital. It doesn't always have to be at a facility and it could be at home. It could be through a screen. It's ultimately what that person who's receiving care needs most. And I think that fits what everyone expects. So I'm going to be cheering you on in that situation. I mean, does that change in the future? It seems like people caring for people is going to continue to be the theme. It is. And, you know, we've kind of internally branded the word together across many of our initiatives. So our program on diversity, equity, inclusion, and anti-racism is together strong. Our zero harm program is together safe. You know, our rollout of, you know, the electronic record is together care. So we're really using that theme about we're together, also serving and connecting with the people we serve together is really, really important. And it's also how we work across the United States. I mean, because it doesn't make any sense to be a national health system if you aren't leveraging your skill, learning, and scale. Otherwise, why be a national system? You know, all those things are really important. And the continuous learning, like I said earlier, is so, so important and openness to new ideas. I think it serves our country great to have a a national health system that's so focused across the country on all those communities. And in your situation, you can make real change and that's powerful. But it starts with, you know, individual people and it's the patients and it's your colleagues. And I've got to ask you this, and this is going to be tough, Mike, because you had a great answer last year. Day one, someone starting off in healthcare what's one piece of advice you'd give them on a short elevator ride? So let me reframe this as a returning guest. You've talked to that person in the elevator. You've told them have a beginner's mind. They've had their first week, right? So now it's like day seven and they bump into you again. What's something else you can tell me as I'm just starting out still in healthcare that I can keep with me the rest of my career? It's hard to answer that question. I mean, I think, you know, you do have to connect to the higher purpose. And for us, it's kind of easy because we're a faith-based health system. So our higher purpose is all about the common good. And so I'm constantly using the theme here, you know, how are we serving the common good when we make a statement about gun violence or we make a statement about DEI and anti-racism or how we make a statement about care for all, you know, really connecting to the common good. But I guess the other thing I'd come back to is always trying to learn and get out of your comfort zone. And Ryan, I know you talked to me last year about my personal life. And, you know, I play guitar. I've done that since I was like 12 years old. I started taking guitar lessons again. Okay. So I'm trying to get out of my comfort zone right now. I mean, I got into some imbued habits and it's opened up a new avenue for me, actually personally right now. So you got to find something like that where you take a risk and you're willing to lean in all the way. So that would just be a metaphor example. Is there something we can do to lean in and to take a risk um, and to get out of our comfort zone, not get into our panic zone. So, you know, that's the key is you want to get out of your comfort zone. You want to be in your learning zone, but you don't want to get into your panic zone. How do you stay in that metaphoric middle? 
Right. And in that perfect area where you're balancing, you know, confidence and growth. And so I think it's interesting because in your answer, you could run into someone who's been here 10 years and give them some great advice on getting out of their comfort zone. Because unlike that person on day one or day seven, it's really easy to just sort of get into what you do day in and day out and just sort of lose that purpose or lose that focus. And so getting out of that comfort zone, doing something different, I think is so powerful. I sat in on a webinar recently that was an introduction to healthcare marketing, which you think I would know a few things about. I learned things. I took notes from that webinar. So a little bit like you sitting back down with the guitar. This was wonderful. You gave us a lot to think about. I think you gave us some hope about the future. You didn't sugarcoat anything. And it really gives us things to think about as we're all trying to emerge from COVID. So I'll give you the last word here, Mike. I really appreciate your answers on this. Anything else you want to share with the listeners? It's a pleasure to have the opportunity to chat with you. And, you know, I'm all ears on any ideas folks have about how we can move to the future. So staying connected is incredibly important. And I love staying connected to people both within our organization and externally. So, you know, maybe we should give your email to other healthcare executives who want to email you about uh, vice versa, vice versa. So sure. Well, we love to connect with you and share this out to our listener base. And of course, we will look forward to having you back again as we all emerge from this and just want to thank you once again for joining our podcast today. Always a pleasure being with you, Ryan. Keep the mantle in front of us about consumer and member Absolutely. Always the focus. And thank you to all of our listeners. Have a good day wherever you are, and we will see you next time.